It's time for another edition of Dome and Domer, the only podcast for Notre Dame fans by Notre Dame fans. If you're looking for cogent analysis and unbiased opinions backed by careful reporting, you've come to the wrong place. For the next 20 minutes or so, you'll get a fan's perspective on the Fighting Irish without all the normal spin from the so-called professional analysts. It's Dome and Domer. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Brammer and Ed Jordanic. Hello, Irish fans, and welcome to another edition of Dome and Domer. My name's Mike Brammer. Joining me tonight, Mike Coffey from IndianNation.com. As we review the Notre Dame-BYU game, the improvement that we saw, which is, you know, look, as a Notre Dame fan, you're pretty doggone excited. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's some hiccups. Let's let's be honest, and you know, yep. let's 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 just be clear about what we're dealing with here. Okay. There are still some spots that need to be corrected, and some of those are some, for the most part, the ability for us to get gashed in the second half on the defense, mm-hmm. and for some reason that reared its ugly head again. Um, but, you know, interesting, Mike, you were there. So, I mean, you you got a perspective on the actual atmosphere there in Vegas. And obviously, in the first half, it was pretty good. I mean, what, what was your overall? T- it's just out of curiosity. I mean, the Shamrock Series has been, for the most part, a pretty big success for Notre Dame. I mean, up to this point, I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts were being there in Vegas, Pro Stadium, Notre Dame, Fans are a lot further away from the field than you're normally accustomed to. True. But overall, what was your sense on the the entire production? Well, first of all, I will fully acknowledge the hypocrisy of having criticized the Shamrock series almost from the get-go <laughs> and then attending yet another game out in Vegas. I mean, I, I Putting all that aside for a moment, as I, I'm and I'm trying to remember where I read it because these words aren't going to be my own, but it really uh, encapsulated what I thought. If if Notre Dame is going to continue to have a Shamrock series, they need to find they need to find a way to have a game in Vegas at least once every five six years because of all the Shamrock games I've been to and I've been to a couple of them, this had the best atmosphere of any of them. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it felt like a ball game. I mean, yeah. The, well, look, from what I read and everything, that's consistent. I mean, that's yeah. So that's that's interesting to hear from you, who was there and saw that, because I heard the same kind of things being the, reported. The one against Miami in Chicago. I mean, it was maybe because it was so close to South Bend. I mean, it felt like another. Yeah, game. I was there. I was at that game, and I I thought it was really well done. I did. Yeah. The, yeah. This one took it a step further. I mean, just be a being so far away from campus and actually being so far away from both campuses. Although uh, if you walked around Vegas for a couple of days, like I did before the game, based on how people were representing as far as what they were wearing and all that, you would get the impression that there would have been a much more pro Notre Dame crowd at the game. But you have to remember that apparently, and again, another article I'm trying to remember that I read, uh, there is a very large LDS community in and around Las Vegas, of all places. So the day of the game, you saw a bunch of BYU gear out there. And at the game itself, I mean, I couldn't tell because as it happens, the seats I got, you know, I got it from an ND, uh, Notre Dame person, 
we're really kind of in the middle of the like the BYU area. We were about like on the 15 yard line in the north end zone on the my, my sense of direction gets thrown on the east side. So looking across in there, I saw a bunch of Notre Dame people, but starting from where I was and background, it seemed like it was all blue. And by the way, I know we've talked before about how Notre Dame's lack of concentration on a color kind of hurts them when they go to non-home venues or even when some road teams come to Notre Dame. I think about the the sea of red when Nebraska came here. Yeah. All were red. Yep. Every BYU person had navy blue on. So you could see where the BYU section was. Notre Dame people were wearing green. They were wearing blue. They blue, were wearing yeah, yeah. Red, white, gold, all that. All right. Notre Dame needs to, especially for road games, needs to decide on a color. And if it means they pick a shirt and that's the shirt in perpetuity, then that's what it means. I'll buy a new one every year if it's the same color. I believe. In <laughs> All right, Copper, you're making the you're making the case for Notre Dame to make some money here, so they're going to be all over this. <laughs> for the thirty people that listen to this podcast, <laughs> Notre Dame needs a, a a cohesive color scheme when they travel because, like, teams like Nebraska, Michigan State, the, 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 yeah. everyone comes in, they wear the same color, and you can see where they are. Notre Dame fans are wearing like five or six different colors, so I think. There were more Notre Dame fans at the game, but the BYU fans all wore the same color. And in the second half, when things really started to to go their way, they were loud and good on. Yeah. Them. I think it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think Notre Dame did a good job putting the entire program together. The game experience itself was fantastic. Uh, playing a team like BYU that has fantastic fans, and I had great interactions with a lot of them. It's not like when you're Going, it's like going to Michigan or Ohio State or something like that, but a bunch of mouth-breathing troglodytes. But the BYU people were great. Notre Dame was well-prepared. The one thing they need, well, one of the things they need to do differently, the bookstore was terrible. And anyone who went will tell you the exact, they they ran out of stuff. They didn't have enough people checking you out. Uh, John and I went over there, walked in. We were there maybe five minutes. Didn't see something we liked in any of our sizes and saw there was a 45-minute wait to check out, and we bolted. So I I think if they can make Vegas a regular stop on this barnstorming thing that they do and prepare a little better for the merch they're going to sell, I mean, the game was great. They did great on the game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a lot of the stuff that I read online – pointed to the fact that a lot of people that were there felt like, man, this was a great college football game mm-hmm. in the middle of the season with the atmosphere, the just the overall play out of the game. You know, had it Notre Dame got up early, built a big lead, everybody's excited, all of a sudden BY, you know, they come storming back. It's it's the- a bit of an exciting game in the stadium. Yeah, it, and it um a state feel to it because you Yeah. Especially after that that drive in the second half that was just to go up 20, that was a thing of beauty, ball control, good movement, good passes, good blocking. Yeah. And I, I thought for sure 
when they went up like that. And I think when they had that third and 17 on the next drive, if, if they would have stuffed them and gotten the ball back, the game would have been over. Oh, no, I totally agree. I mean, that, that totally changed the complexion of the game. You know, that's a good point because it's a good lead into, you know, some of the things that as fans we recognize we got to fix, which was that. And unfortunately, Notre Dame, for whatever reason, this year has a propensity to give up a big play. Third and 16, I mean, they're deep in their own side of the field. And they run a draw play. And, I'm, uh, you know, about the last thing in the world you thought they were going to do was get a first down. But lo and behold, that's what they end up pulling off. Bad and, I mean, Bad man, I tell you that just – for, and, for, and that literally happened. That happened right in front of our seats because we were. That, that was the 15 yard line we were on. So just watching that play develop and the number of guys who could have had him and didn't, and it was, it was just so so frustrating. And that that safety blitz play has got to be shelved for right now, at least until they can ramp up the speed in the defensive backfield because that blitz is never getting home. And it creates such a huge gap right in the middle of the field. And it puts our very young cornerbacks out there on an island. And I don't think that's fair to them. I mean, I know they want to try to uh, show some different looks. And you know you want the, the, the opponent to be able to respect any and all possible defensive executions. But right now, that's not something we can do against any kind of an even average to better offense. We're going to get killed doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, the, the good news is, I mean, we're we're kind of pinpricking the things that didn't go right, but mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, uh, there were a lot of things that went right, which oh, are all positive signs for us as we're heading through this season, and we're we're excited about. But just to to finish the final thought on the pinpricks. I mean, I will tell you, and I don't know, Coffee, I mean, I've talked to a couple of people about this. I get probably 50-50 responses to this. But Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you, during the game, I was like, oh, my God, do not go for it here. You're up 10-6. to You kick a field goal. You're 13-6. to You're a touchdown ahead. You put pressure on them to respond. And instead, we go for it again. And I don't know, I, I'm, I I have to go back and look, but if I had to guess, I would say in those key situations, we're like, what, one for five? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's just, it's so, mind boggling, but we just so, didn't execute on fourth down. And then all of a sudden, now granted, we got the safety. So yeah, okay, great. Yeah, the defense responded. Yeah, okay, great. But it's still two points versus three. Yeah, And in the hindsight, 28-20 would have been 29-20. And, and I think the the same thing applies to the two-point conversion in the first half. I mean, I know what people talk yeah, about. Yeah, so no exactly. Bad. That's too early to be chasing points. I think right – and again, I'm not a head coach, obviously, but I get the feeling this is part of Marcus Freeman's learning experience. Exactly, where, as 100%. You said, as you said, going for the field goal there – or kicking the extra point there instead of going for two means on that that last portion of the fourth quarter, Notre Dame's up by nine, and that's two scores. That's so much less pressure on the defense. Now, Grant, now maybe the extra pressure on the defense helped them 
like raised their play and resulted in the kind of things that we saw. That fourth down stop was a thing of beauty because it was yeah. happened right in front of us. And you saw as the as the offensive players got adjusted, the defensive players shifted around like like a, a linebacker came up and one went back. The guy who came up went right in to where the, that was obviously something they'd seen on film because they reacted to it perfectly, stuffed it for a loss, and th- that was BYU's last possession. So watching that play really gave me confidence in the defense. And the defense, as I've said before, has been playing really well. But I, I just seeing that really kind of gave me even more confidence on the defensive side of the ball. Now, if we... Would they have done that if we were up nine instead of seven? And like it was a two-score game and there wasn't as much pressure. And yeah, we can give up a touchdown if, if but we're still going to have the points and all that. Maybe, but I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Obviously, yeah. No, I'm with you there, 100. percent And you know, look, I, I think um, so. Let's move to the positive side of things because sure. there was plenty of that. <laughs> And, you know, I think if you're a Notre Dame fan right at this moment, you're you're pretty excited because I think coming out of the Marshall loss, everybody was like, oh, dear God, what are we dealing with here? What do we have? Do we is is this another Tyrone Willingham? Meaning that I wasn't quite there, but (laughs) I I understand what you're saying. I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, the point of the matter is, is you're like, all right, we, we gambled with. You know, hiring a guy who's got absolutely zero experience head coaching a major power five football program. And that's a risk. It's a risky run. Bob Davies, Tyrone Willingham, uh, Charlie Weiss. I mean, we've seen what has resulted from this. And so it's only natural to say to yourself, okay. Oh God, are we? What are we doing here? What is the definition of insanity? And so, you know, truthfully, I think that people in the know, people inside the program, felt like, no, this is not the same situation. This is a different situation. We have a very dynamic coach who we think is going to be a very good coach sometime here in the near future. And the question is, can we kind of survive that as he as he gains experience and puts himself in a position to do that? And so I think in terms of what we saw from BYU, you got to feel pretty damn good about the progression Marcus Freeman has had since the opening game. I mean, first off, he showed up and, and competed against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we gave it up in the second half. We got gashed. We we had, you know, some things that we saw. But here we are. We lose the Marshall. We get it back against California. We now are facing a pretty doggone good BYU team. I mean, I, I, I'll be, I won't be surprised that BYU runs the table the rest of the season. That will not surprise me. Um, good. It's, it's a good team. They got a doggone good quarterback. He had a bad first half, but he is a good, solid quarterback. They're good. They're old. They're seasoned. They're going to be good. And you know what? We kind of took it to them there for a while. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, Notre Dame showed that, hey, we can control things. I mean, obviously, Alt is an absolute stud. He's yeah. showing himself. Blake Fisher is he just needs some experience. I mean, he he's a guy who's not been in a lot of games just yet. He's sure. young. But boy, I tell you, the offensive line is starting to assert themselves. And Good and job. if over wait, if wait, we wait, can wait. do this over the next couple games, we're going to be in a doggone good spot as we head into the rest of our schedule. I mean, sure. granted, we got Clemson and USC looming. And look, I mean, at this very moment, I'm thinking a split. You know, I think there's a chance that we win one of those two games. And, hey, you know, that's just where we're at as a program. There's a a potential to get better over the next couple games and maybe steal those. I mean, who knows? Well, what I like, what I liked most of what I saw last weekend is coming out again. Once again, from the get go, they came out fired up. They built the lead. It wasn't one of those Brian Kelly business trip stuff where he refused to try to harness the emotion of the situation and drive it to early success. Notre Dame came out, played well from the opening whistle. Now, yeah, a bit of a fall down in the second half. But what that has shown me is that Marcus Freeman knows how to focus the emotion of his team. He knows how to recognize the big moments and have his team ready to meet them and not get overwhelmed by them or be so scared by them and say, well, we're going to, this is going to be a business trip because I don't want my players to get so overwhelmed by their emotions that they can't function. And then they can't function anyway. Marcus Freeman has a good finger on the pulse of this team. He knows how to make them ready for games like this, which is something his predecessor had no. Yeah, ability. I would agree. So, you know, I, I don't have a lot of clips for tonight, but here's one of them that I want to show. And I, th- I think this is what, as a Notre Dame fan, you're pretty excited about. But, you know, if you look at this. Ask me when he jumped I mean, Look at Drew Prine. Okay. Look at how he stays in the pocket and doesn't, you know, this, this is some huge progression for him as a quarterback. His ability to stay in the pocket and see what's evolving around him and then make a throw. And in this particular case, he's hitting Mayer, obviously, who clearly had the kind of game that we were hoping for. His but, baby, as Jason Garrett called Oh, God, can we get rid of Jason Garrett for crying out loud? Yeah, oh. he's had a little bit of a rough go. But I don't know. I mean, he's a guy that's... You get Tariko and was... Oh. oh. <laughs> it's hard to argue with the guy who's been in the NFL that won the number of games that Jason well, Garrett has. But... <laughs> You can when he sounds like an idiot. But, you know, <laughs> I anyways, you know, the game. So, but I watched the recording when I got home. But I think the 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 point that everybody saw in Drew Pine is that it looked like a guy who was pretty confident in the pocket, who mm-hmm. didn't get rushed, who is slowing the game down, who is letting his progressions take place, and there were several. I mean, I, I could put up five or six plays mm-hmm. of Drew Pine where you see him drop back and then looking over the entire field, not focusing on one guy. Mm-hmm. You know, that touchdown pass the mayor in the corner where mayor went up, you know, with both hands, caught it and fell backwards into the end zone. On the replay that NBC did, they did it from the back, the, the end zone. 
Mm-hmm. And they focused on Pine's eyes, and you could see him literally looking the free safety down. He didn't even look at Mayer. He was looking at the free safety, and the second he saw the free safety didn't float over there, boom, he turned, looked, and then made a beautiful throw to Mayer that, that allowed him to go and get the football. No, and I, I think some people forget, and I'm one of them, because uh, someone pointed out on our site last week, Drew Pine, I believe, was at the Elite 11 camp when he was a senior. He got yeah. the invitation to that camp. I mean, they, they don't invite people who don't know what they're doing. I mean, no, Pine, Pine, Pine was the number 15 drop back passer in his class, number 15. So he, it's not like this is the guy that was a two star. This, this isn't a preferred walk on. This is a kid who yeah. knows what he's doing. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I like his, as you said, it seems like the game is slowing down for him. It seems like he's seeing more. He said he's going through his progressions. He's finding the guys who are open. I think now we have two very winnable games against questionable defenses that Pine can even grow his confidence even more. And then you have uh, at Syracuse, and which I'm going to be interested to see the next two weeks what happens with them. But And then Clemson coming to town. That's going to be... That's those are the season makers because after that it's uh, Navy and BC and then going out to Southern Cal. So you have winnable, winnable, semi-tough, tough, winnable, winnable, tough. And I think as if if I'm Marcus Freeman, I'm thinking you know that that's the kind of progression I want. I want to build into those tough games by games that are shouldn't be challenges, get challenged. Relax, build up, get challenged again. That's yeah, kind of no, that's, that's exactly right. To be able to perform at the level you want to perform. Yeah. No, and I, I really felt the same thing. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, look at, at at the end of the day, we are are hoping for just progression from one week to the next, to the next, to the next, mm-hmm. and it it just looks like we're headed in that direction right at this moment. Yep. Um, we're we're playing awfully well. BYU is a ranked football team. Oh, they were, that was a great, you know, opportunity for us to to show ourselves that we're improving here. Absolutely. Stamp, yeah, Stanford one and four being with the progressing forward, forward, forward. Yeah, exactly. And I, it just looks like we're we're starting to click. And I think it's important for the the program as a whole for the recruits that are seeing us. Yep. I mean, it, it could be a whole lot different if we are at Oklahoma right now. I mean, hate to bring that up, but truth of the matter is that <laughs> if you're a recruit that's heading in that direction, you got to be scratching your head a little bit about what's going on. But and I, I read an article on The Athletic today, and, and I think to be fair, uh, that's a much bigger transition because you get a guy like Riley who just wants to throw the ball all over the field. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if he wins – like 50 to 45, he's like, ah, screw it, it's a win. Venable yep. wants to win every game 21 to 14, which exactly. is, or, or he would he probably prefer to win like 35 to 14, but he's got a bigger culture change there, especially after uh, the transfer portal allowed Riley just to pull his top two players with him, which is, yeah. You know, on the one hand, I understand giving players their agency and, Allow, I mean, there's people who are making money off their performance and they yep. should be allowed to do what is best for them. But I think the pendulum swung too far the other way. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's 
universal free agency every year with no contracts and no salary cap. And it's, it's the wild, wild west. And I think it's, it, if it doesn't get better soon, college football is just going to implode. And Yeah, I, I agree with you. So just uh, on that point, really quick before we do predictions, I'm just kind of curious, Coffee, what you think about the challenge for Notre Dame in terms of competing with the NIL. I mean, there's a few whispers that maybe Lacey left Notre Dame because somebody was throwing them some money. I mean, I don't know. Who knows what that's all about? But the reality of the matter is other programs are being a, clearly a little bit more aggressive in terms of what they're promising the guys that are coming to them with potential NIL deals they can secure versus Notre Dame's approach. I, I just wonder if you think that's going to be something of an impact for us, whether we keep the class that we got coming in for 2023. You think that's anything that's a concern or not really? I, I think Notre Dame has a decision to make. I think if they are going to continue to market themselves as a top team, if they're going to continue to charge as much as they do for tickets and all those other things associated with it, then they're going to have to play the NIL game. And if they don't want to, fine, but then they then you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too. You have to be able to say we're not going to do this NIL stuff. We're going to have a much more conservative approach and oh by the way, we're not going to be charging our alumni championship level for tickets and stuff like that because, you know, we we realize that by making this decision, we that other decisions are going to be made for us. Speaking as an alum myself, I really don't see why how NIL figures in about what Notre Dame is. I mean, Keon Keeley, fantastic player, was deemed worthy of a Notre Dame scholarship, which tells me that the people in charge of making these evaluations said he's an intelligent young man, he is capable of performing in the classroom at Notre Dame, and he's capable of representing the school both in the classroom and on the field and off it, which is fine. So what difference does it make if he gets paid like $250,000 in an NIL deal? What, what does that have to do with those other things that I talked about? That That's what bothers me because yeah. – if Notre Dame is offering meaningful degrees, if Notre Dame is making sure that its players are performing in the classroom and on the field, and if they are offering scholarships to young men and women, for that matter, who are worthy of the name and who they feel are good representatives of what Notre Dame is supposed to be, if there's an NIL thing out there that pays them for their market value for what they're worth, What's the huge deal? I don't understand why people will get like all bunched up about, oh, we can't pay NIL. Like, so what? It's completely different yeah, from what Notre Dame students and student athletes achieve while they're on campus and how they are deemed worthy of being before they arrive. So I think if Notre Dame's going to get all about um, NIL collectives and all that, then you know what? Go join the Ivy League. That's, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I'm of the same opinion. I think you gotta, you got to pick which way you're going to roll with this. I mean, if if, if you're going to try and attract the right kind of guys, because we do that at Notre Dame, we can't just grab anybody because you, no. you, you can't bring guys in here who are going to fail academically. That's not fair to them. 
it's not fair to their families. Mm-hmm. You don't want to put young men in a situation like that if they don't have the aptitude to show that they can hack a place academically like Notre Dame. But when you do find those guys and they are a fit for that, why would you restrict them from what they can do outside of that? That just doesn't seem to make sense. No, I don't think that's fair to them as a human being in, in the market that we're in, knowing that we're up against. I mean, that's you, you, you have to have some common ground here where you can accept the fact that outside of everything that we're espousing to, they, they can do what they want. That's the whole freedom of college football at the moment. Now, granted, I think college football's in a very precarious spot right now. And I, I think things are going to change. I think you're going to see two years from now, things will be very different than what they are right now. Everybody saw how big the pie is, and now all of a sudden the slices are being shifted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know what? What what bugs me the most is, and and let's let let's be frank about this. Notre Dame being reticent about NIL is because they're concerned that the guy who would normally donate five hundred thousand dollars to the Notre Dame uh, athletic fund is instead going to donate that five hundred thousand to an NIL collective that is going to bring yeah. players in. Which is in a a lot of these places is a charity that's set up so that he can write off that five hundred thousand dollar donation. To be honest, and and I don't know the particulars about what the ND groups I've written, I've I've read about, are doing. I think they're doing something maybe relatively similar to that. But Notre Dame wants control of the purse strings, and unfortunately, the way that college football is going, as I said, they either need to throttle way back on the expectations, which means they're going to lose ticket revenue, they're going to lose people, they're going to lose people who only donate because they want their football tickets, or they can say, you know what, yeah, we're going to lose some of the donor stuff for the NIL things, but we can make a lot more when Notre Dame is successful. I mean, if you look at how much money Alabama has made just based on the success that Nick Saban's teams have have brought them, it's absolutely insane. But you have to be willing to... As the old saying goes, spend money to make money. You have to be willing to let the dollars flow in the direction they will and be confident that they will come back to you. And that's, yeah. at least so far, is not something Notre Dame has been willing to do. And unless they're going to, as uh, Hedy Lamar says, rest their sphincters and decide that they're going to be more trusting of the process, then I'm not sure what's going to happen. Yeah, I hear you. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, the good thing is at the moment we're looking at some very – positive signs from the Notre Dame football program. We're excited. We're seeing progression. Things are looking good. I'm still nine and three. I'm assuming you're still I'm nine doing. and three. Oh, and, and, and by the way, for, for everybody watching who's been watching me drink, Brammer was drinking too. He's just, he just did it before we started. And that's right. <laughs> oh, uh, Chicago glass. It's probably reversed. There you go. I like it. Thorn beer, Michigan city. For those of you like who come out for games and stay there, they're fantastic. Not paying me to say it, <laughs> maybe the 25 people that watch us will get some uh oh we have more than 25 i hear you um all right coffee let's so let's cut into it. what's your prediction for stanford i believe i said 38 to 19 in our contest i think uh i did watch part of the when we got back from the game back to the hotel uh stanford was playing was at oregon state and i watched part of the first half you know my feet were killing me from walking but 
Stanford really seemed they had things together and they seemed so focused. Everyone seemed really gung ho. And then you lose in the last minute on a play like that. And I think they're going to come into South Bend completely like, let's get this season over with. And I, I, I see maybe one or two touchdowns in garbage time, but uh, Andy's going to go up big early. I really hope we see Steve Angeli on Sunday. Yeah. So either this, this Saturday or next Saturday, because this is the opportunity to get him at least a couple reps just to see what's what. But yeah, uh, 38 to 19 was my conservative pick. Okay. You know, I'm a little bit different from you. Um, I'm going to say 35-20 only because I, I think that Stanford. That much different. Yeah. Well, it's not a lot different, but I, I you know, I, I'm saying 35-20, but it, w- it won't surprise me if it's a little closer. Um He's a very good quarterback. He is very capable. He's got an arm. He can sling it. He, uh, I think over 20 yards, he's 11 of 18 with no interceptions and like, I don't know, five or six touchdowns. So this is the, this is a guy that can. I think, I think Notre Dame is among the better, if not the best defense Stanford's face so far in the, I would agree with that 100 percent Bracey I don't think is going to play though and well, he's well, your he's your number one guy when I was looking at headlines this morning I was reading the Stanford student newspaper and all of them think they're going to get blown out like 42 to 10 or something like that so no I don't know I think there's too much there's a lot of you can't you know with 18 19 20 year old guys you can't do that because they're always capable of rising to the occasion from an emotional standpoint. It's totally unlike the NFL. And um, I, I think Stanford's going to show up because they're going to say, you know what? I don't care. We suck. We're one and four. But, man, if we stick it to Notre Dame, that'll save everything. And that's, that's the one thing that you just can't. I don't think Notre Dame pisses them off that much. No, Sean. Uh, I don't. I don't know about. That. Not that Notre Dame pisses them off, but boy, they present an opportunity. That's for sure. I suppose. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting. I, I you know, it'll be a it, look. I think at the end of the day, I don't see us losing this game. It's just a matter of how close will it be and everything. But um, but I, I agree with you. I would love to see Angeli get in. We we've got to find a way to at least get him some snaps. He's got four games to play with. Get him in there. Get him at least something. You got to get some exposure for him. And um, hopefully this is one of the games we can do it. If not, you know, be for sure. But um, but but overall, I mean, things are really looking good. I mean, as a Notre Dame fan, the offensive line, the progression for Drew Pine, his ability to handle the offense. The running backs, Diggs looks like he's healthy. I mean, holy cow, that kid's a stud. And he finally looks like he's healthy. Those are three tough running backs coming at you. And, you know, look, I, I 